This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. When you come through Christ, you don't come to God who is unapproachable. You don't come to God who has closed the door in your face. You don't come to God who is who you can't connect with because you are a sinner and he is holy. When you come through Jesus to Mount Zion, you come to a God who has invited you into his presence. You come to a God who has declared forgiveness over your sins through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. What does it take to keep a relationship alive? I bet you're thinking of quality time and commitment. Those same aspects of any relationship also apply when you start one with God. But how do you get to that point? How do you stay committed to a relationship with God even when it's hard? Today, Pastor Josh speaks from the book of Hebrews. It teaches that when you come to God, God never shuts the door on you. When you come to God through Jesus, He invites you into His life, family, and kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as he begins his message, Climb the Better Mountain. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be going through verses 18 through 29. We're continuing studying verse by verse here through the book of Hebrews. It's one of the things we do here is just take books of the Bible and try to dissect every part. And the the great thing about that is you get every part. (laughs) The parts you might want to skip over, the parts that are hard to understand, you're forced to get into them. And wow, this is a powerful passage. Paul has introduced us in the beginning of chapter 12 to the race that every Christian has before them. The race of faith, the race of faithfulness to Jesus and the gospel, the race specifically that God has placed you on in regards to his purpose and plan for your life. He said the way that we must run this race is by remembering those who have gone before us. So we sang about the heroes of the faith who have shown us the example of how to run, that we are to run with endurance, being unhindered and unshackled from every weight and from every sin that would seek to trip us up or hinder us from everything that God wants us to accomplish and do on this earth. And then, of course, he said on that race, sometimes we have to be corrected, lovingly disciplined, and redirected by God our Father so that we don't get too far off course, that we don't end up getting into something that is damaging for ourselves so the Lord, as a loving Father, will discipline us so that we can be free from roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and fornication and adultery and all of the desires and the lusts of our flesh. But as we come now to this closing portion of the chapter, he switches gears into this incredible picture, metaphorically speaking of things that are, for his Hebrew audience, very demands a very decisive action. And here we might call this the the twin peaks of Hebrews, the twin peaks of the Christian life, because he brings into view two distinct mountains within biblical, the biblical scope, and that each of these mountains represents either where you're going, where you're coming from, and the kind of relationship that you will choose to have with God. And he encourages us towards one specific mountain, and to the Jewish audience, I think in the same analogy of the race that he is demonstrating to them, when you're on this race, you need to know where you've come from, and that's going to be Mount Sinai, 
And you need to understand where you've arrived and where you're headed, and that's Mount Zion. And the distinct difference between these two places and what they mean in regards to your salvation. And so as we dive in, Paul relates to these Hebrews that the nature of the mountains of God, we're going to see how these relate to the nature of God himself and our relationship to him. So if you're taking notes, we're going to jot down the first set of of observations here. Number one, verses 18 through 21, teach us about the nature of Mount Sinai. The nature of Mount Sinai. He writes in verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burns with fire and, that, and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and terrified. Now, obviously, the mountain that the author here in Hebrews is describing for the audience is none other than, it. can anyone guess here, it says it in the text, Mount Sinai, that's right. Mount Sinai, where... The law of God, the Ten Commandments, the ordinances of Israel were given through angels to Moses, written down on stone and delivered to the people of God. Of course, the the people of God, this is the same place where they got caught in idolatry, where, where God's wrath was against them, where there was this decision, a point of decision being made. And for the people of Israel, for the Jewish mind, Mount Sinai was forever cemented as the symbol of God's holiness, of his justice, of his wrath, of his law. This is the place where the covenant of the law was truly established. It was also the place where the people of God first experienced a physical expression of God that scared the living daylights out of them. Now, they had seen the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and they had seen God do miraculous works no doubt. But when they got to Mount Sinai, that pinnacle where the law was given and God's presence came down, all of a sudden there was black clouds, there was thick smoke, there was consuming fire, there was lightning and thunder, and literally the earth was shaking to the point where when God even gave them a hint of his voice, what was the people's response? You can look this in Exodus 19, Deuteronomy chapter 4. It shows it in great detail that when the people heard God speak, They said, Moses, tell God not to talk to us anymore. His voice is too terrifying. We will die. And so Mount Sinai is obviously, in three ways, showing us something about the nature of God and the nature of man, isn't it? Number one, we see that Mount Sinai was was physical and not spiritual, so there was something tangible about this expression of God that terrified people. It was dreadful and not delightful. So it's not like people were excited to go up to Mount Sinai when God was there. They would rather have stayed away because of what could potentially happen to them if they approached God in his presence and his holiness. Mount Sinai represented a distance, not a nearness, not an invitation. In other words, Mount Sinai and the law represented God's complete unapproachableness. 
that people, and this wasn't God's fault, that people were so different from God and God was so different from them, that people were so unrighteous and so contaminated by sin and so wicked in their hearts and God was so holy and pure and perfect and just that there was no room in between for them to actually approach God. And the law was given to keep them in line, to try to keep them at least on some form of straight and narrow path. And the fire that burned on Mount Sinai was a reminder of God's righteous judgment. And isn't this tell us something, and I've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again because Hebrews emphasizes it so much, that the cry of the church today, if you know Jesus, right? Your prayer is, Lord, draw me near to your presence and speak to me. Man, if you were at Mount Sinai, your prayer would be, Lord, get away from me and don't ever talk to me again. Right? We sing these songs, oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Oh, Lord, you know, when you, when you fill the room, my heart pounds. Yeah, their heart was pounding because of a heart attack. Like they were dying. They couldn't have fathomed in that moment saying, hey, the God that's on the mountain, come over here to the camp and just flood this place. Fill the atmosphere with your presence. They were trying to get as far away from that as possible because they knew distinctly that God is so mighty, powerful, holy, righteous. I mean, we, we just feel like we can't even approach him. And I want to tell you that the author does this on purpose. God did this very thing on purpose. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses told the people why God demonstrated his presence in this way to them in regarding the law. Exodus 20, 20, Moses told the people, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. In other words, the motivation of the law of God is you need to be so afraid of God that you don't do things that are wrong. That's the motivation of the law. Keep you from sinning by showing you how fearful and awesome and holy God is. And that can maybe keep you a little bit on the straight and narrow. But here's the problem that will come forth as God reveals the new covenant through Jesus Christ and faith, is that the law, its very purpose was to expose a person to the reality that they were sinners, to the reality that they and God were different. Why? Because People naturally think that God is just their friend. People naturally think, oh, I'm good enough for God. I can just be who I want to be and do what I want to do, and God will just accept me. He's just like the big guy in the sky that I can talk to when I want to, and he'll kind of be the God I want him to be. In no uncertain terms, let me communicate something that I think we all know, but it needs to be said. The God we read about at Mount Sinai, the God who dwelt in terror, and lightning, and thunder, and earthquake, and fire, who said, literally, Moses had to put a boundary around the mountain, and says, don't send your animals over there, don't cross the line, don't go, because if you do, God's wrath will consume you. You guys, that God has not changed. Let me say it again. That God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is immutable in all of his characteristics and in his nature. He does not shift. 
It's not like God was the, the wrathful, angry God of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden something flipped in his mind and he became nice and a friend. No, this is written in such a way that it shows us the purpose of that law, Mount Sinai, was to put a fear in people's heart about how holy God was and to show them how insufficient they were. Now, I, here, the problem, of course, with the law, and Paul talks about this, is that outward reformation, laws, rules, religious hoops have no true power to transform someone's desire. Being afraid of God might keep you from doing something stupid, but it won't change the fact that you still want to. That's the problem. So Josh, what is this, what is this Mount Sinai? I get it, Jewish audience, that's their history, that's the law, they, that's where they came from. That's the, but what about me? Well, here's the reality I've, I've found, is that many people still want to create their own mini Sinai's, their own set of rules, their own set of standards by which they can feel justified before God without having to approach God his way. Author Kent Hughes put it like this. We fabricate our own mini Sinai's we, with a series of mini laws which reflect nothing of the fiery presence and which are, we think, well within the reach of our unaided powers. In other words, there are a lot of people who don't want to live in the new covenant grace, in faith that Jesus is enough. They want a Mount Sinai to climb. They want to be able to reach the peak of the mountain and say, look it, I did it. But try to climb Mount Sinai on your own and you're going to find a God that is holy and just and that you are not enough to reach on your own, on your own merit. You know, for those who live in Mount Sinai, if your relationship with God is based on your own performance and being afraid of God of what he might do to you if you mess up, that is a very hard way to live a life with God. In some ways, it's easier because if you do really good, guess what? You can feel good about yourself. If you meet all your own standards, check off your, okay, I didn't do that this week. I didn't smoke and chew and go with those who do. And I didn't, that's, I don't even know why I said that right now. That's... <laughs> But we do. We, this, is, this is human nature. It's human nature. It would have been for the Jews, right? The audience Paul is writing to, oh, you know, we need to just go back and make the sacrifices again, and we can just set up our own system. We can kind of feel comfortable in both worlds, and we can just trust in something else. People do that today. People who are conservative-leaning but don't want to approach God through Jesus, they'll kind of do the whole, yeah, I believe in God, you know, God, faith, and country, and you know, I'm pretty moral, and I do this, and I do that, and I got all my lists of, of things, and I, and I, you know, this defines, I have self-defined what good enough is, and I meet all my, my own self-definitions, all my own standards. Well, that's, that's easy. But for the person who recognizes they're not enough, I think there are still people who do believe in Christ, and, and they do trust in Christ, but they're still fighting. Their relationship with God in their mind is, God is happy with me Monday if I did what was right by my own standards. God's disappointed with me today. I might not be saved tomorrow because if I do something really bad. And they're constantly living on Mount Sinai. A God who's distant, a God who's not inviting, a God who, who they need to be afraid of and ashamed of themselves. Right? This is the kind of God that they're living with in Mount Sinai. And when I say that, 
we recognize something very powerful, and that is the nature of God. That is the nature of God. But so is the next mountain. Same God. Paul says, you have not come to Mount Sinai. When you come through Christ, you don't come to God who is unapproachable. You don't come to God who has closed the door in your face. You don't come to God who, is, who you can't connect with because you are a sinner and he is holy. When you come through Jesus to Mount Zion, you come to a God who has invited you into his presence. You come to a God who has declared forgiveness over your sins through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And when you come to Jesus and you come to Mount Zion, as he will describe, all of a sudden, that same God through Jesus Christ has now invited you into his life, his family, his kingdom. And here's what we get to as we look at verse 22. We see the nature of Mount Zion. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so here he lists seven destinations of Mount Zion. When you come to Mount Zion, you come to these seven places. And of course, Mount Zion was originally physically a Jebusite stronghold that King David came and conquered. Ultimately, he brought the ark and he called the place, the name of the place was adopted, Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Mount Zion then, when Solomon, David's son, came and ruled and he built a temple to God in Jerusalem, he brought the ark of the covenant there to dwell. Mount Zion became the symbol where God's presence and salvation, watch, go home, do a quick word search, Mount Zion in the Old Testament. You will see things like salvation flows from Mount Zion. Mount Zion, the city of the great king. It's a place where God's presence and salvation comes out of to those in need. This is Mount Zion. It's not the place of law. It's a place of grace. It's not the place of performance. It's a place of acceptance. It's God making a way possible for people who shouldn't be able to approach him to approach him. And notice the seven Briefly, I'll tell you, go through these seven destinations of Mount Zion. He says, when you come to Mount Zion, that is, you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, you go to seven places. Number one, you go to the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem, or the heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So when you come to Jesus, what you are doing is you are becoming a citizen of a heavenly city. Your citizenship literally changes. According to chapters 12 and 13, the heavenly city that he's talking about now spiritually is within us, but is one day physically coming among us. This is exciting news. We are now spiritually, we are citizens of heaven. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is even able to subdue all things to himself. I like to put it like this. The Christian lives both in the present and in the future. 
The Christian now is in the kingdom, but the kingdom is coming. The Christian is now a citizen of heaven, but heaven is coming. That creates a space here where God wants to do something heavenly in and through us here and now. Regarding the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, in Revelation 21, John has a vision of the day that God brings forth his city to the earth. Listen to this. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And everyone who has that hope says, Amen. That is the day that we look forward to. That is the city that we are a part of. And the beauty of that promise is that that picture that we see of that city coming and Jesus reigning and ruling on the earth and literally doing away with all things that have damaged his creation is that here and now, we get to experience peace of that city here. We get to experience God's peace in our pain, God's healing in our hurt, God's salvation in our distress. And yes, we still long for that day of heaven, that, that day we sing about. Why? Because we recognize that the city is not fully here. It's coming. Notice the next thing that we're welcome to in Mount Zion is an innumerable company of angels. And this is a fascinating statement because Deuteronomy tells us that as the law was given, these angels or these ministering spirits were there administrating the, the, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, you almost got the sense that the angelic beings that God is surrounded by, the book of Daniel, the book of uh, Psalms tells us that God is surrounded by 10,000s of 10,000s of angels, innumerable amounts of angels. And on Mount Sinai, those angels were there to keep the distance. Just like remember in the Garden of Eden, when mankind sinned and was expelled from God's presence, God placed what? At the door of the, the entrance of the garden. He placed an angel with a flaming sword to keep the distance from man and God. And yet on Mount Zion, there are angels. But you know what? The tone here in the language, in the Greek language, some of your Bibles say it, to an innumerable, joyous company of angels. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So even the angels, our relationship with angels change in Jesus. They're welcoming us. They're celebrating. They're, they're waiting for us to become part of that heavenly city. And angels, to the believer, they are messengers of God. They deliver direct messages to the believer. They can. They can rescue and free and protect those from dangerous places. Peter experienced this. Paul experienced this. They can come in visions. Angels are very active in the life of believers. Angels are very active in your life. God says, God, you know, Jesus said that children have angels. I don't know exactly what that means. It's where we get the kind of the concept of guardian angels, but certainly angels do battle in the spiritual realm. They do God's will. But here's, I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but I just want to say it. A few things that angels don't do. Angels don't want worship. Angels of God don't draw attention to themselves. 
Thanks for joining us for Pastor Josh's study in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this book, we learn about idol worship. This is when you place a person, people, or things in place of God. Although idol worship was prevalent during the time Hebrews was written, it's still in our world today. From TV to clothes to food to family, it's easy to put other things in place of God. We hope today's teaching has made you more aware of this and that you've been encouraged to seek God first. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Once you're there, click on the Media tab and follow the link to our YouTube page. You can also subscribe to our podcast and have the latest message from The Ascending Life as soon as it's available. Feel free to download these messages and take them with you on the go. If you're on social media, find links on our website to our social media pages. We'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Calvary Chapel. Our website again is theascendinglife.com. If you're in or near the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Church for our weekly service. Find all the information you need at our website, theascendinglife.com. Well, that's it for now. But there's so much more to learn on the next edition of The Ascending Life. So be sure to tune in again. Sin